to Tight's Camera Action, a show about movies about people who fight crime, uh, hosted by people with no strong opinion on crime one way or the other. I'm Kyle Scherer, and with me is Steph Kachias and Owen Vandenberg. I, I neither endorse nor condemn crime. I feel that it is that is a matter for state governments and not for federal governments to intervene on. We're impartial, and that's why we're good judges of crime. I don't know about you guys, I'm very partial to crime. I love it. I, yeah, that does not speak for me. I'm very pro-crime. Continue. Yeah, well, it's, it's, I just want just that on the record. To, it's good to get our biases like out front and centre. Uh, so You're just in the pocket of big crime. That's what it is. <laughs> big crime. Yeah, big crime. crime, big wind, <laughs> big <laughs> tobacco. Everyone knows crime's lying in your pockets. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this episode we are doing Zack Snyder's take on Watchmen. Mm. The seminal comic book or... Graphic novel, if you're so inclined, mm-hmm. that kind of was part of a wave of uh, comics in the 80s that really brought a, a, a new take to the, the genre or to the, to the medium as a whole. It definitely, uh, it, to a point, legitimized comics in a way. It, it, it kind of crossed a, a boundary and, and knocked down boundaries between what was considered normally, a, I guess, a kid's or childish medium to something that was a bit more heady and, and adult. Yeah, and Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns, which also was part of this sort of new wave, it tried to make comics grown up and it, they both drastically overcompensated to the point where it led to... A series of comic writers who would just insert like really dark monologues and also like sexual assault into like every single page just to show that it was like a story for grown-ups. Mm. Thankfully, thankfully, we've moved well past the days of making things comic book related gritty for gritty's sake, and we don't have anything like that these days. That's right. Yeah, we really have moved on. Watchmen. One of us died tonight. Somebody knows why. Somebody knows. Harry had been working for the government. Maybe it was a political killing. Maybe someone's picking off costumed heroes. John thinks that there's going to be a nuclear war. What if that's why someone wants us out of the way? So we can't do anything to stop it. An attack on one is an attack on all of us. Watchmen are over. What do you suggest we do about it? Retribution. We can save this world. save the world i no longer have any stake in do it for me Was, this was your choice, wasn't it? 
That's right. Uh, and partially it was my choice because Watchmen the comic, I read that at like the exact right time uh, for 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 when Watchmen can hit you. I think I've talked about Fight Club. Yeah, yeah I was just saying, it's like, I watched yeah. Fight Club at like 17. And oh, it was yeah. the perfect time to watch hit the Fight Club. Sw- hit the sweet spot. I saw it about the same age, I think. I, was, I think I was about 17. And then like handed around to all my friends. And they're like, oh, can you, can you believe how real this is? And it's like, I think both me and one of my other friends both tried to get our dads to read it. We were like, it was it was quite tragic. I was like, driving lessons <laughs> dad i'm reading like the most important graphic novel of the 20th century <laughs> and I, I tried to make him read the rorschach in rorschach getting psychoanalyzed scene and i was like check this shit out dad you want to get your mind blown you want something that'll blow your mind check this shit out uh and he i i think he kind of humored me with it yeah. but I was the only convert because I was the only teenager, I guess. Yeah. But then despite that, and despite like Watchmen kind of getting me into comics as a whole, because mm. uh, I was, I think the, the first one I read, uh, I never actually saw the movie when it came out. I was overseas at the time and there were only really bootlegs available. And I was just like, mm, well, I, I won't see it as a bootleg. And then I just never got around to actually getting a, a decent copy. And it was kind of strange because it was, yeah, the, the story that kind of got me into it. And then I never really bothered to see the adaptation. I think part of that was that by that stage, I'd kind of like, I've had, I'd had my fill of Watchmen. And also, I was kind of one of those people who were very cynical about the idea that Zack Snyder, or really anyone, could actually make it work as a cohesive movie. Mm. And it was a, it's a, a comic that has been there were a lot of attempts to make this movie before Zack Snyder managed to get it off the ground like there was a Terry Gilliam version I think at some point that sounds Mara. about right and yeah. I think there was even a um a potentially a uh Paul um, Greengrass I heard was involved yeah, yeah and um who's the guy who made um Edward Scissorhands I'm having a Tim Burton blow. Tim Burton although I might be thinking of Hellboy <laughs> <laughs> I might be getting up. I've been reading up on both of them and I'm getting my facts confused. But yeah, you're right. There were lots of different um, takes coming on board. Who would Johnny Depp have played? Who wouldn't have even played? All of them. He would have played played the comedian. Oh, yeah. No, he would have have played Dr. Manhattan. Yeah. No, that's far too restrained. Mr. Manhattan. (laughs) Mr. Manhattan. (laughs) I didn't want him to be uh, elitist or anything, so I decided to take his educational qualifications away. That's what we did for our adaptation. Yeah, Professor Manhattan. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, look, it's, uh, it's one of those films, um, that had a big impact because it was one of those comics that had a big impact. Unlike you boys, I read, um, I read The Watchmen when I was probably about 27, 28 or maybe a bit earlier. And, um, so only a few years ago. Um, and it, I read it later, you know, after having got into comics, um, and I read it because I'd heard that it was seminal and that it was an important work. And I bought the pat, you know, the big book of it, and um, and you know, <laughs> demolished it. In... I'm just picturing like the child's version, which is the big book of Watchmen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It was in the, the pages were cardboard, and um, and look, I've, I'm not going to lie, I didn't enjoy it. I I really. Um, I don't like, in general, anyone telling me what to think. And I especially don't like books and films doing that to me. And this book was just so sophomoreish in its sort of um, attempt at being deep. And absolutely, it was like, wow, I bet a 15-year-old boy would really love this. But a 26-year-old woman 
it doesn't you're, speak so you're much. Not to Alan you. Moore's target audience. No, I'm also you know yeah. By that stage, I had read good stuff. You know what I mean, and I knew what a good piece of literature was, yeah. and I could yeah. see through the bullshit pretty quickly, and was like. Uh, this is really just on the nose and pretty sexist and also just like, okay, we get it. I got it like after page two, you know, and it pretty much just hits you over the head with its ideologies over and over again. I think you're absolutely right about being on the nose and sexist. And I think there's also a generational aspect to it, which is that nowadays we're so used to piss takes on superhero genre yeah and we've had stuff like kick-ass we've had stuff like super had like so many superhero parodies and sort of like counter takes and sky high yeah <laughs> and so many different sort of like i guess meta takes mm. on like superheroes that watchmen it's not as it's not as groundbreaking when you read it today as it would have been then yeah uh, when it was actually quite a refreshing idea to to look at the actual implications of vigilantes yeah i didn't actually read that just to be clear for the record i didn't read this when i was like 15 or 17 that was when i saw fight club oh, um, right, yeah. i actually only read this like a year before the movie came out because it was one that i thought i should always get around to and yeah i, I when i was like yeah, i mean like i can see how this would be a big deal in the 80s but yeah, yeah it, in the context of what was this 2009 i yeah. think so yes. yeah so yeah when i read it it was 2008 and like yeah comics have you know it, because it was such a, a a huge moment for comics 20 years earlier that have moved on and have evolved from there so you can mm. see it's like it's like looking at the groundwork and going oh okay i see where a lot of these absolutely things come absolutely through. so um directed the other reason um oh sorry i should say not the other reason i, I will put it out there i don't love the movie either i mm. um i a part of the reason I don't like the movie is obviously I don't really like the source material, but I also really have an issue with Zack Snyder as a director. Mm, speaking of on the nose and ex- sexist. Exactly. <laughs> and, and bashing you over the head with an idea, which um, subtlety isn't really Alan Moore's or Zack Snyder's sort of, um, you know, That's true. Remit. Having said that, there are some subtleties or I'd actually say ambiguities in the source material that Alan Moore put in there uh, specifically as kind of an experimentation because there are things that you can do on in the medium of comics that, that can't translate yeah. to film uh, because, you know, even with things like the pace in which you read a comic is is sort of self, uh, self-made and the pace at which you watch a movie yeah. is kind of made it's by set. the director. Yeah. And if it's by Zack Snyder, then it's the pace is going to be slow motion for like half of it. <laughs> and there are also some character ambiguities which are really interesting in the comic book because you only get these like fleeting frame by frame glimpses of things you you can sort of interpret events more than if they're just being played out on the screen i think the biggest one for me is the opening scene of the movie which is the comedian mm. uh uh getting the uh, shit kicked out of him by ozymandias who then just throws him out the window and this is also how the comic starts off with these flashback scenes of the comedian getting beaten up and then finally like murdered but in the comics you don't actually see if he's fighting back all you see is him getting punched Mm. getting thrown around and it's kind of left left up in the air as to whether he it was a fight or whether he was so psychologically broken by this stage that he he had no fight left in him and he was kind of almost suicidal. And if you go with that take, then it completely changes the way you look at Ozymandias because 
if it was a fight, then Ozymandias would have just been participating in a standard sort of battle. But if the comedian wasn't fighting back, then it's a lot more personal and it feels a lot more like uh, retribution from Ozymandias and kind of throws doubt on this idea that he is just this completely objective person who gets no personal satisfaction outside of violence if he's kind of like brutally beating this man to death. Was that the character's conceit? That that the because I that didn't really come across. It's been a long time since I read the comics, and when I watched the movie again, Ozymandias, who who is the kind of twist villain of the story, so it, it the whole story is basically a who done it from the beginning and who is who is attacking the Watchmen, and it turns out that it was one of the Watchmen itself themselves, Ozymandias, who um yeah in the in the in the movie. Um, yes, he's very dispassionate and he's very suave and he's very sort of robotic in his understanding and, and interactions with the world. But I didn't get a sense that he was completely removed from violence in, in that as much as you just suggested. But, uh, he's, he's open to using violence as a tool, but what he says, and you don't know whether this is actually true or whether it's just like a lie or delusion, what he says is that He's, he's in his master plan. He's using violence only as a means to the end, right. and he doesn't get any. And and he yeah he he doesn't partake in violence for violence's sake at this stage of his at this stage of his life. Yeah. Uh, but I think yeah when we were watching the film, you really summed it up well when you said that Ozymandias is so clearly a vil- villain in this movie. Like he just moves, acts, and sounds like a bad guy. So from the, the very beginning, yeah, the klaxons are going off as soon as he enters the screen. Yeah. 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 But, um, with the opening scene, so after the comedian gets thrown out the window to the tune of the first of many songs to be included in the movie, unforgettable, uh, we enter into probably the most famous and probably the best sequence from the movie, which is the opening montage mm-hmm. set to the, times they are changing can i say one thing about the fight just before we move on from it something that bugs me and this is something that comes up in a few other things as well but um something that i always liked about watchmen as a comic is that everyone except dr manhattan is a person Mm. there aren't superpowers in this universe except with the exception of dr manhattan and that's the whole point in that fight scene, they're breaking marble and concrete oh, yeah, with their bare fists. That. And this yeah. happens in Dark Knight Rises as well. And there's certain things where I get, I, I feel like that just gets, often gets thrown in as like, a, oh yeah, people that are fighting can definitely do that with their fists. Yeah. And I, it really, I hate it. It happens yeah, me out. in the Fast and Furious movies as well. Like, yeah, or like those guys. Those things are so heightened and yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, like, but I know yeah, I'm almost like willing to go with it in those ones because they're not ever trying to not be a Wiley Coyote action movie. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. The comedian yeah. at this stage is meant to be so broken psychologically. And also yeah. an old guy. Yeah, yeah. And also like he's at the this sort of he's coming towards the winter yeah, of yeah, his yeah. years, and he's just like punching through walls and yeah. like knocking things out of corners, and it's such a an over the top fight that it really kind of took me out of it and mm. made me think oh shit this isn't this isn't what i took away from that part of the book there are all. definitely points and i will probably come to them when we go through the movie that that were definitely like are these people do these people have superpowers or not or like is there something yeah. extraordinary going on or not because there are definitely times with pretty much all of the characters all of the watchman characters where you are you're sort of going well i don't think they have powers but they you know mm-hmm. they can do something that's weird so the the big one is ozymandias actually he mm-hmm. he displays the most superhuman element i think aside from dr manhattan throughout but they all do in mm-hmm. certain ways um so yeah you're right though jumping like, back into the um the 
opening credits, and I will say this, I I think they're the best part of the movie. Like, they're really cool. They take the... They just basically take a snapshot of the 20th century of America Mm. and, you know, through these sort of iconic images and and parodies of iconic images. um, It's a bit mad-many. It's like Mm. all of these little moments from the 60s and the Cold War. Yeah. And... It works quite well. I think that was one of the things that made me get sick of Mad Men, actually. The fact that <laughs> episodes would just turn into, like, one of those YouTube videos of X reacts to, like, kids react to mm. or teens react to Mad You Men won't believe the how these advertising executives react when JFK gets shot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it'll just be, like, moon landing, JFK, and just the episode, they'll just I be, I disagree like, with... I don't, I don't want to get into that. <laughs> Mad Men's my favourite show ever. And I, I really, really disagree with <laughs> you that it's on the nose, because I think it does it really well. But anyway, we won't go there it's not a show but the opening sequence no it is it is quite good it actually reminded me more of Forrest Gump oh (laughs) that's what I felt like you expected to see Tom Hanks in the background and all those things yeah yeah Forrest Gump feel Um, but they're they're awesome and they're sort of stay they're very very Zack Snyder and look Zack Snyder's the slowest motion that he's ever done I don't it is, know. yeah, no, it is. <laughs> they're not quite, they're not quite still shots. It's like yeah. a guy will fire a gun and you'll see the bullet like slowly. Yeah, go up in the air. yeah. How short do you reckon his movies would be if they were at full? Like, how well, short do you reckon three hundred is? Well, there's a there's so there's like three versions of Watchmen out there. There's like the oh, one yeah. on Netflix, which, which I think is just a theatrical, and there's a director's cut, which is like. 30 minutes longer than there's like a mm. three hour one I think they've all probably got the exact same amount of footage in them but it's just like more slow motion <laughs> has been added in and the three, yeah, the three <laughs> hour one is just like that much extra slow-mo uh, just in random it's just, it's just turning into like a Bill Viola piece he's this video <laughs> artist who does like super slow pieces so it looks like you're looking at a still image but if you look at it for long enough that it because you realise that it's moving yeah. at, his, at Zack Snyder's like Hollywood mansion do you think all of his security cameras just record like the grounds in slow motion <laughs> and the security guards are like watching their monitors and they're like they just see like a criminal like come up really really slowly <laughs> and he's like already in the house uh, but yeah, no, the opening sequence, it is quite good and, uh, it does set the tone of like, this is like our world, but with a few little twists and you, the music works well with it. And mm. you pointed out something that I'd forgotten, which I do, I do remember now. So one of the conceits of the film is that Batman never existed because the Waynes never get shot. And there's a, mm. there's a, one of the stills in the thing is, is, um, some, Night one, Owl, have Night Owl, or yeah. One, yeah, one of the original Minutemen mm. punching out, uh, uh, what's his name? The guy who shot the parents. Uh, yeah, punching yeah. out a Joe Chill. Joe Chill, yeah. thank you. Um, yeah, so, uh, and then, yeah, the, the Waynes are in the different the distance. So mm. in this universe, Batman never existed. But the weird thing about that shot is there's also yes, Batman, Batman comics, comics on the wall. plastered on the wall in that same shot. So I, love, I, mm. I love comic book movies that have the comics in them. And we'll talk about that maybe in another episode coming up. But there's like, um, yeah, it's I love that when like the comics and the real life sort of mm. interact on screen like that. Yeah. It's fun. Um, so we have that sequence, which is quite good. And then after pretty much everyone sees that, they're like, okay, I'm on board. And then we segue from that to meeting Rorschach, who is set up as like the protagonist, really, because he's the guy we spend the most amount of time with at the start. And we're also hearing his internal monologues he's the closest thing we have to a protagonist yeah yeah and uh his internal monologues which are they're just taken they're lifted directly from the comics i'm pretty sure Mm -hmm. i think i heard some tweaks here and there uh and there are some interesting omissions actually which i wanted to get into and the monologues are where it first began to break my brain a little bit 
And I think this is where adaptation really hurts because you you can read the monologue on on the page, but then hearing it actually get said out loud in like a raspy voice, it was it was actually kind of cringy. And I know that Rorschach's monologues are meant to be they're meant to kind of evoke that sense of wow, this guy is like a, a really really right wing nut job who's completely like mentally unhinged. But you're also kind of meant to think. Because he is the protagonist, you meant to think, oh, this guy's also kind of cool. Yeah. And it really, it's really hard to get this guy's kind of cool when you're actually hearing him say oh, these things. Oh, he's very, part of, it's definitely a big problem of this movie is that he is very unlikable and very repulsive mm. um, as a character. And yet he's, he's who we stick with, with the most, for most of the movie. And you never feel connected to him, really. Like, you never feel that sympathetic for yeah. him. There are moments, but in general, he's pretty repulsive. And I think it's, it's a really, really hard thing to do. And this is one of the reasons why I thought a movie, especially a Zack Snyder one, would be so hard to pull off. Because I think, and this is my opinion of the comics, but I think in the raw shark in the comics was meant to be a bit of a, if you'll excuse the term, a sucker punch. Like, it was meant to be a guy that you kind of identify with at first, and then you, 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 I think it's meant to draw you in with thinking this guy's just like Batman, but is even more like raw and edgy. <laughs> and then by the yeah. end, you're meant to come to this slow realization during it that, oh, this guy is actually insane. A, yeah, he's yeah. an insane mm-hmm. person. He's not cool. He's not good. Mm-hmm. He's not moral. And this is also exactly what a vigilante would be like. So you're meant to kind of question, oh, shit, me thinking that this sort of vigilanteism is cool is just really sort of juvenile and, and twisted and kind of fascist like there's a subplot in the in the comic where there's like you see every now and then the staff of this like fascist magazine and that they all worship like the superheroes mm. and yeah i think it's it's harder to do in the movie because you just kind of like he's just just seeing him and hearing him make it immediately off-putting and it makes you like realize that a lot earlier which is a bit kind of kind of makes it a bit moot uh my question is um about about um Rorschach, and this is one of my: Are they superheroes, and are they um, are they uh, superhuman or not? Is why does his mask change shape like that? Like why uh, does the ink change? The, in I believe in the comics, the explanation is that he it's some kind of experimental fabric yeah. that, that, that is somehow linked to Doctor Manhattan. Like it's I uh, think it's sort of a weird like he his presence sort of kick forwards kicks forward all sorts of different technologies, mm. and this is some weird experimental fabric mm. that is constantly changing, and he turned it into a mask. I don't remember right, how he right, found right. it. It's linked to Kitty Genovese as well, which is like a mm. whole other thing that they just omitted, which kind of makes sense because it would have just been even more backstory to to yeah. load in yeah um, well anyway when you're watching it you're like what is that like yeah, yeah. You, you, it's sort of without that backstory and without any explanation you start questioning whether this guy has real powers or not because it's so it's not real like mm. it doesn't fabric doesn't do that <laughs> so yeah. you know like it, it just that was one of the things where i was like oh yeah that moves i forgot that it did that that's weird you know anyway so the rorschach's monologue is like rambling on about whores and politicians and intellectuals and smooth talkers yeah and uh, he's got that line <laughs> that he's talking about us yeah yeah that's a direct uh, slam I'm on not podcast. a smooth talker <laughs> Uh, and he also has that line. The, the only one I wrote down was uh, 
he's talking about the people in the street discussing their heroin and their child pornography, <laughs> which made me laugh out loud. <laughs> yes, actually, it made me laugh. Having said that, uh, I was just like, how's your, how's your heroin? And, uh, <laughs> oh, it's, it's good, but oh, it's, yeah. it's not as good as my child porn. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, but having said that, it did have an interesting omission. And that is that in the, in the comics, one of the lines that he says in, in the opening monologue is, uh, you know, just saying that there's no good people left anymore. And then he, he says, good people like my father and President Truman. And just kind of slips it in there, doesn't elaborate. Hmm. And then later on, we find out that he sort of hero worships both his father and President Truman, never actually knew his father, and just had this fantasy that his father was a soldier in World War Two, And... I think, I think his, well, actually, maybe his father had said something about Hiroshima and Nagasaki, which were bombs dropped by President Truman uh, to end World War Two. And Rorschach, because of his fixation on his father, thought that, okay, well, President Truman must be really good for doing that. And that completely put, that completely makes Rorschach a, a hypocrite who doesn't, who has no self awareness, mm. because obviously his objection to Ozymandias' plan is that, you know, murder of innocence is never justified and Ozymandias' plan is basically just Hiroshima and Nagasaki on a big scale. So I think that line being omitted was a bit odd because I think that's, like, the earliest indication that Rorschach is himself, like, he's not this pure figure who never compromises and he has this, like, unimpeachable moral code. He's just, like, this nut who has, like, the same weird delusions and biases that all the other nuts have. Uh, so I thought that was an interesting omission. Do you think that's intentional to make it more simplistic or to, to make him less, you know, fallible or ambiguous? Honestly, I'm not entirely sure. I think it might have just been that they harvested, like, the coolest sounding lines from the opening monologue. And it was like, oh, either heroin and child pornography or this, like, non-secateur about President Truman being a hero mm. that is just going to go over the head of, like everyone in the audience because we we're not going to be able to elaborate on it yeah uh so what comes next so basically so basically we find out so rorschach's like a he's like a he's like an an amateur detective he's he's jumping around you know um manhattan or wherever they are yeah the city of, of of new york i guess and um and finds out that the comedian this ex um uh this ex superhero who he used to work with in a team has been murdered um, and he believes, he starts to think that um, that they're targeting superheroes. Um, and then we start to flash back and forth a little bit and we start to understand a little bit of the history of what's who these people are and what they are. And there's actually sort of two flashbacks. There's flashbacks to the original Minutemen who were like the original superhero team, which are who we mostly saw over the credits, and to the Watchmen who were like the Minutemen Mm. times like uh, seconded like later on yeah. so they're the picard of yeah, <laughs> yeah of crime exactly the, the originals were in the 40s and then the watchmen were in the 60s, 60s and 70s. It's set in the 80s yeah mm. yeah yeah so they're called the crime busters in the comics is that right i know they're not called the watchmen yeah that might have been change that they made for the movie was yeah, that right. they they actually called them the mm. watchmen and, and that was something that i felt like 
with that so a bit. I don't know. That's, yeah. that's a little on the nose as well. Though. Yeah, so we find out that, that Rorschach was part of this, yeah, this second this second lot of superheroes who included um, a second Night Owl, because there'd been a Night Owl in the first one, but that, and then there was a second one, a second Silk Spectre, because there'd been a, a first one of that, and the, the, the Silk Spectre is the original Silk Spectre's daughter. Um, and Rorschach... And the comedian, who was one of the only one, the only one who was in both teams, mm-hmm. so he's the oldest. And uh, so it's like how Worf was in Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. Yep, thanks, everything thanks is Star Trek me. references today. All right, okay. <laughs> and uh, and the Doctor Manhattan. and Doctor Manhattan, who is, as we mentioned, the only actual person with super. Oh, and and Ozymandias, yep. which, who we mentioned. And, as- uh, yeah, yeah, Doctor Manhattan's the only person with super yeah. as you were saying, and his superpower in this movie is. Basically, just to he, he touches people and then they see their parents fighting from like that early childhood. No, I thought his superhero power was like <laughs> his giant visible penis. Which I think they made it a bit bigger for the movie. Well, you would, right? What's the line? They are making me into something gaudy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, he's naked a lot of the time. He's like this. So, what his background is that he was a nuclear physicist and he, much like the Hulk, got stuck in like a. Uh, an, an experiment mm. with nuclear stuff yep. and turn into this blue guy who basically can control time and space. Yes. Right? Uh, very, very, very powerful. Pretty much a pe- the, you know, the most powerful being. Well, he's just, he's just a god. He's essentially yep. a god, yeah. So, um, uh, so yeah, so then uh, Rorschach starts kind of trying to contact all these old friends, or not really friends, they don't really get along with him, um, but to sort of warn them and or find out what's going on with this um, with this murder. And really, the film doesn't take place over a very long period of time. Uh, the movie's basically broken up into these episodes where we do these flashbacks and we uh, um, or just spend some time with each member of the Watchmen. Um, and uh, as, as Rorschach starts to piece together, along with um, the, the new Night Owl and new Silk Spectre, they sort of start to help him towards the end is to figure out what you know who's who's killing who's killing them. So it's, it's very episodic, yeah. Uh, and that's that's the structure of the comics yes. where every issue was like just a different person's backstory until mm-hmm. it got to the end. Uh, and that kind of works for a, a comic where every issue is the same amount of pages. Uh, so there's a sense of yeah structure and pacing to it. Uh, with the movie, though, it's kind of like some people's backstories get a lot longer than others. And I think the, the best one is like, so, you know, uh, Dr. Manhattan gets quite a long, lengthy yeah, backstory. Yeah, I forgot he's about on, that he's on completely. Uh, and then the, that's that's a, quite a good one. And then the shortest one is probably Ozymandias' backstory, yeah. where it's just him talking to a bunch of guys in suits. And he's like, man, Alexander the Great was really cool. Uh, he yeah. conquered the world and now I want to do it too. Yeah. And then he just stopped in front of a statue. Of Night Owl doesn't He's get... like, that's my shtick, that's my thing, that's where my head's at. And yeah. then that was that was just his backstory montage. And also I noted that his montage, which was kind of, because his, his, um, his alter ego is this... Um, this business, this kind of you know smooth talking businessman, and and yeah, he's he's getting interviewed smooth by the talker, you say. yes, <laughs> um, by the by the press, and um, yeah, so Rorschach goes and visits him while he's being interviewed, and he's being interviewed in his like high powered high rise building, and it's all nice, and but when he's doing his monologue behind him is the two towers, like the twin towers. Oh, not the two towers from Lord of the Rings, but the the twin tower, the I World Trade Center. Completely missed that. Yeah, oh, right. from the World Trade, and I and I actually mentioned I was like that's weird. 
weird. Like, I don't know, was that trying to say something? But anyway. It was, but it's still set in the 80s, right? It's still set in the 80s, yeah. but, I mean, it was just, yeah, very prominent in the background oh, of that okay. scene yeah, sure. was his was those buildings, so that was interesting. Mm. But, um, yeah, so he's, uh, yeah, and as I said before, like, you can tell he's a bad guy almost Talking about Alexander the Great is, yeah. like, a warning sign. Yeah, we're talking yeah. about any famous, like... Conqueror. Conqueror yeah. <laughs> is, a bad, is a bad sign. It's like, especially yeah, it was great, Genghis Khan. Yeah. <laughs> but especially if you make that your whole thing. Yeah. Like, mm. it's just, <laughs> your whole thing to the extent where the password on your computer is just, like, Genghis Khan. <laughs> 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 uh, uh, we're going to talk, talk about the hacking scene later. <laughs> uh, <laughs> should we talk about the music now? Because i got to yeah, get sure. that off my chest. Yep. All right, so... Opening sequence with the comedian. Uh, he's watching an ad on TV from Ozymandias' company set to the song Unforgettable, and that's what they have their fight scene on, mm-hmm. and that works quite well. And then it immediately jumps into the opening credits, which mm-hmm. is that montage, just to the times they are yeah. changing. Yeah. And again, that actually kind of works pretty well. Back to back songs, but okay. And then for like every every three minutes or so, there's just a new song from mm-hmm. the Cold War. And nobody no, can hang on, do... you kept saying... Co- this is You said this when we were watching it. You said, oh, these Cold War songs. And okay, so you kept saying it. But... No, but you kept saying it. And I just... There is no such thing. That's a, not a term. It's, but it's, <laughs> it's, he's clearly trying to use... Contempor- you just mean... Songs, songs that come out between 1945 and 1991. Mine's Unforgettable, but... And Hallelujah, because I think that was the Lennon Cohen's mm. uh, version. But mm. every every other song... It's like a uh, Night Owl and Silk Spectre talking about the Cold War, and then he plays ninety nine Luft Balloons as they're doing it, yeah. just like about like the bombs dropping, so we, and it's it's just so obvious. And then the, the funeral for the comedian yeah. is uh, was it Sound of Silence, or yeah. it's it's a Simon Garfunkel song anyway. Instead of just like just funeral music, just like why does this need to be like a song with lyrics? Like I'm I was astonished that the Doctor Manhattan sequence wasn't. Um, Set to when I was seventeen. Mm. Like, I, I was waiting the for Homer it to come Simpson in. Version. Yeah. I thought it might be she blinded me with science. <laughs> <laughs> so there was actually so we we counted them. There's nine. There is nine times where a song or a popular song is mm. used either as part of a montage or just to yeah. over over the just scene to remind you of the fact that oh ninety nine luft balloons oh that's right it's the Cold War the bombs mm. could drop. But man, it's just, <laughs> it's too much. That, is, that no, song does it's not, not remind you of that. It's, it's what are you talking about, about? The song is about that. But that doesn't, is it? I don't speak German. No, it, it is. It's about so <laughs> even if it in, was, the, in the song, even if it was, the, so it's a song. It was done by a German artist, I think, and it's about like a bunch of people who release ninety nine red balloons yeah. into the air just as part of a celebration. Then it shows up on radar. And then the US and the Soviet Union think it's like incoming missiles and they both fire nuclear weapons at each other and I, blow up the whole I, world. I believe, it, I believe it, that. that, is that. Why they it's a real Twilight that. Zone episode of a song, <laughs> yeah. man. But you, I still, I don't think that people hear that music and go, yes, the Cold War. Like, <laughs> I, I think Zack Snyder definitely did. I just, I just mm. think they're just popular music of the time of like... He, the whole the whole movie is an allegor- is trying to be an allegorist about um, the 20, 20th century America, and yes, the Cold War is is a factor. But like it's it's just picking songs that he thinks sound cool from from the you know the mid of this of tw- the twentieth century. That's all it is. You remember the classic Cold War song "Rapper's Delight" by the Sugar Hill Gang? <laughs> <laughs> I think that was you'll find that was detente. Rather than <laughs> um, okay. Oh, cool. 
uh, music yeah, yeah. wise though this isn't a pop song but i feel like it needs to be discussed because i feel like it's really on the nose and doesn't work but the ride of the valkyrie Oh, uh, yes! He's yeah. being used while Dr. Manhattan is uh, destroying people in Vaporizing Vietnam. Vietnam. Yeah, he's Which is having, a, a direct... Um, yeah, it's a, it's just a reference to Apocalypse yeah. Now. It's not like it's... A, yeah. But again, that's this. the movie is a very... It's a very postmodern pastiche, just like the original comics. Uh, it's Don't, just the worst kind of I like know. winking at the camera with the camera itself. Guys, <laughs> it's, it's, see, it's I did not like this movie. <laughs> it's Mad Menning. See, that is Mad Menning. If you're using like... I really... I feel like Mad Men walks the line a lot better. I need you to stop making that analogy... I, I, can, I can tell that it's I can tell that it's getting it's really really and you're not gonna you're it? not gonna punch me in slow motion either it's gonna be it's gonna be quick no, it's that's right okay so the um he he continues to say basically yeah we're just we're just learning about these people mm. um another character the other character uh, we haven't talked about the plot between night owl and the, the the junior silk specter so silk specter number two the, the daughter is um is she's dating dr manhattan at the beginning of the mm. movie like they're a couple and she's been living with him for a long time even though he's quite a bit older than her but he and also the fact that he's this giant naked blue man right and um but you know their their relationship is breaking down. He's becoming more and more distant and less and less human. Mm. Um, he's losing his humanity and he's losing um, his sense of what it is to be human just by I guess by have being so powerful for so long. Mm. It's he, surprising it didn't happen sooner. He sounds like he has just read too many Ayn Rand textbooks. Like he's like a live body and a dead body contain the same amount of particles. Also. The government shouldn't fund building of roads. <laughs> but it's yeah, it's because in, in the in the comics you get to see him like gradually flake off a bit more, yeah. and I think he uses his powers a lot more. And uh, there's that early flashback, which is in the movie as well, where the comedian says just calls him out on it in the Vietnam War and says you're flaking out, you're losing touch. Yeah, like God help us when you finally like. Well, that, that's mm. a, that was a pretty good scene where it's one of the flashbacks and they've been in Vietnam together mm. and the comedian has knocked up some local woman and he shoots her dead and she's she's pregnant and yeah, um, Doctor Manhattan is there the whole time and watches it happen and um, he has a go at he has a go at the comedian and he's like you just shot a pregnant woman and he's like well you're Doctor Manhattan you could have vaporized the gun like mm. and you didn't and yeah it does it makes you think like and I was watching that going why isn't Doctor Manhattan doing something but exactly like mm. he he's losing it so that their relationship um, is starting to fail and um, she reconnects with Dan who's uh, the night owl guy and he um played by your boyfriend Patrick, Patrick Wilson oh, I wish <laughs> Kyle has such a man crush on this guy and I don't I, know well, I think I think you'd find that pretty much everyone does he's just he's so charming oh, he's great don't get me wrong I like him but like actually and I will say this the cast in general in this movie were pretty good like yeah. it was well cast yeah it was um, well cast. In general, it's a very strong kind of bench of actors. Billy Crudup is awesome in everything mm. he does, and he plays Doctor Manhattan. And um, I think Jackie L. Haley does a really good job with what he's he got. was. He was yeah. a great choice too. Um, I don't know, maybe uh, maybe the guy who played the comedian, what's his name, um, Dad Jeffrey Dean Morgan. He was okay. He's one of those guys who's sort of a bit blah. Like I don't know if he's ever as good as. I mean, he's no Javier Bardem, and he looks just like him. You know, it's just good Javier Bardem. You know, like don't don't skimp on us. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, by and large, the, the casting was really good. I think yeah. Patrick Wilson was the strongest element. I'm saying that objectively, impartially. I should have declared my Patrick Wilson bias when we were when we were declaring biases at the start. Yeah. But even even with with that, I think 
he really, really brings to life this idea of essentially just sad Batman or like yeah. re- middle-aged realistic Batman who's gone a bit pudgy and it's kind of come to the slow realization or he's kind of embarrassed like he's looking back on his superhero past like you'd look back on that fight club poster that was like hanging <laughs> yeah. up like oh, you're, in your just ear. in general your 20s yeah just yeah. like a bit a bit embarrassed and he's, he's kind of a bit cringing at it and he's got it all all of his like little batman gear is just like in, in the basement gathering dust and he's just trying to lead a, a regular existence it's funny you mentioned batman this is something that a friend of mine actually i'll shout him out barry who who named our podcast um i was talking to him about um this movie and he said have you read the theory that um the watchman all of the characters in the watchman in that team are actually just different takes on batman mm. um and that and i but yes and no i mean they are definitely definitely night owl definitely mm. rorschach probably ozymandias as well silk specter and 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 dr manhattan I'm not sure how they fit with with the Batman return. I mean, we know that these characters are definitely um, parodies of superhero archetypes, all of them. Um, And I think, and Batman is such a broad character that, you know, yes, this idea that he's a detective, this idea that he's a a suave billionaire, this idea that he has gadgets in the Mm. basement, um, Mm. this idea that he's a vigilante. Like, Really, every superhero is kind of a a version of Batman because he was like one of the first ones. Well, and and at the end of the day, every, you know, like superheroes are the same story over and over again, Mm. you know, like for most part. So um, it's either someone seeking revenge or it's superpowers, you know, being gifted to you. Like they're pretty much the only two stories you can tell or both, you know. So um, whether or not they all are, but it's just, yeah. So Night Owl is definitely one of the biggest nods to Batman because he's got his, you know, he's got a very Batman-like suit and, and that sort of thing. But again, uh, and this goes back to something you were saying, and, and you both were saying earlier about, like, they do kind of have superpowers, is that yeah. Patrick Wilson, I mean, clearly uh, is, is trying to depict Night Owl. It's kind of like, yeah, sad and pudgy. Uh, and Silk Spectre is clearly just a fed-up regular woman who's also trying to live a normal life but is shackled with, like, Dr. Manhattan. Uh, but then when they get into these fight scenes, they're, like, they're, like kicking people and mm. they go flying. Yeah. Like, yeah. Both Silk Spectre and uh, Night Owl, when they're when they're in fights, they like yeah they'll uppercut someone, and it's like an Asterix comic. Like the person mm. will just like fly upwards yeah. and hit the ceiling. And yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And they break someone's arm, and then their arm explodes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, totally. Like, and Rorschach is similar. The way yeah. he fights is is very violent and and uh, you know way more have way more impactful. But, it but Rorschach at least has been remaining active, and he's yes. mainly about like snapping people's fingers and stuff. Uh, whereas Night Owl and Silk Spectre have both been out of the game for like 20 years or something. Mm. So I think the idea that it's kind of like MMA fighters was a bit, yeah, it kind of like tonally it didn't really work for me. It was the same as the comedian fight at the start. It's like, this is meant to be like self-aware commentary about the fact that people getting in these ridiculous costume fist fights is actually silly and sinister. Mm. Uh, but yeah, he's making them look cool because Zack Snyder can't, not make something look cool like he has to make it slow motion and impactful and bone shattering like each time yeah it feels like they're not approaching the fight scenes with an idea of what are these things saying in the story or how are we expressing uh part of the thesis statement of the movie through Mm. an action scene which is usually what makes a good action scene is if it's about you know a um if if it's got an underlying context of this is a philosophical point 
to be making that's being expressed through fighting. You mm. know, like, that's a good action sequence and they're few and far between. And then this feels like they're just like, oh, they fight here. Boom. But that's, and that's Zack Snyder. Like, yeah. he, all his movies, that's like, that, that, it's like, plot, 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 talking, 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 fight. Mm-hmm. Plot, 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 talking, 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 fight. Like, that's just what he does. Everything stops for the fight. Literally, mm. time stops. Yeah. And, you know, and we see everything in slow motion to fetishize violence. Um and women. Um, we should talk a little bit about, I would like to talk a little bit about, um, you know, for a, for an apparent lefty that Alan Moore, you know, I guess probably purports to be in a way. I think he's transcended left-right yeah, politics. Totally, but still, like, he's definitely more of on the more, I guess, a liberal side. Um, well, it probably was I'm originally. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Either. It seems very lefty to me. Um. He sure does have a lot of rape and, uh, you know, um, just badly tr- badly treated women. I mean, be, there's a scene where we find out that the comedian tried to rape and, and beat up the original Silk Spectre um, and that's why the, the daughter hates him. Um, there's also um, the Rorschach, um, and, I mean, it happy, like you said, it's more of a comic thing where he, he idolises his father who abandoned him hmm. and never left him and hates his mother who provided for him and raised him because she was a whore. Like, there, I, whenever I hear about a man who doesn't like his mother because she was a whore, I just, I, I, that's one of the most awful things I reckon you could be. Like, it's just so gross and I'm sure it's true. I'm sure there are men out there who resent women because of that. But, and it's just such a fucked up thing. Like, yeah. this woman, like, provided for you, you piece of shit. Like, mm. it just really, really, and it just really bothers me. It's like, oh, can't we just go back to talking about heroin and child pornography? That was <laughs> yeah. a good part of the conversation. Then you had to bring up these disgusting things about your mother. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, no, I get where you're coming from. Alan Moore is kind of notorious for it. And, and Zack Snyder is as well. Yeah, at least Zack Snyder, I mean, Sucker Punch, whatever you say about that, at least that was him showing that he was aware that it existed as an issue, and then whether he tackled it well is like obviously up for a debate, but it was a movie about violence against women, Uh, whereas with Alan Moore, he just like slaps it in there and doesn't really, he usually uses it as a fulcrum for character growth for a male character, or for a male character to react to, and it's usually just stuck in there. It's very much like Frank Miller and all of Mm. those sorts of writers of that, like what we said, like it is. It's just this inherent sexism in these comics that are just, yeah, it's just just men thinking they're being clever and they're not. Yeah, well, and and there is definitely a sense of like, this is a grown-up book for grown-ups. Because look, there's a rape in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And Alan was also famously done that in The Killing Joke. Where, yeah, where yes. that happens to Barbara and she, Barbara Gordon, and she becomes Oracle as a result. But that, that's such a huge uh, part of that character's backstory now, and it's all from from mm. Alan Moore. Yeah. And again, um, that in in that she is brutalized purely to get a reaction out of Commissioner yeah. Gordon, yeah, and exactly. it's just yeah, she was just kind of like using the plot as like a shock tactic against like both Gordon and Batman, and then. And also at the end of it, Alan, it's not like he had planned her to become Oracle. He was no. just like, oh, she's done. And then other writers later on tried to turn it Resurrect around. Resurrect her in that way. Yeah. yeah, and kind of try and, I don't know, just give her something constructive to do as a, as a character. Yeah. Uh, so they've kind of like tried to salvage it, but it is it is quite a manacle 
that that character is now shackled with. Mm. Uh, I think there's an adaptation of The Killing Joke that's meant to be coming out soon, an animated one. Mm. And there's a big debate online about how they should tackle uh, Barbara Gordon's character in it and try and... Yeah, how, how they're going to deal with it. Because, again, things that things that you can get away with in the 80s, like we're, we're a lot more at least self-aware of them now even if the issues still persist like people are at least talking about it as an issue oh that, that definitely that has a lot of people online like pe- people are not happy with that comic in a lot of ways it's definitely not as not as kosher as it used to be but yes women being used as objects for men to progress plot is not a new thing and alan moore certainly didn't invent it but you know um so look so basically, I mean, we're sort of skipping around the plot. There's not much plot. It's it's really just you know flashbacks telling the story of these characters and trying to figure out who's who's trying to kill them. Um, th- there's a scene where um, Rorschach gets ar- gets fra- framed for killing an old villain and arrested and taken into prison. And he, um, people are joking about how like he he's going to get himself killed in this like prison of really really scary men and of course he's probably the scariest person in there because he's so goddamn insane um and then um silk specter and the night owl um and she's basically left um left dr manhattan now and living with him um and they're trying to have like a, a relationship but um it's you know not really happening for them uh decide to break him out of prison um, which they do. But before okay. they do. No. All right. Before they break him out, let's not get ahead of us. You can't room? just skip it and then and then we just go chronologically from there. I we've just want to let's get to it. We're running out of time. We need to get to the breakout and then we've got to get to Antarctica. And I don't think there's anything else we need to cover. We're, um, we're all talking about Dr. Manhattan's TV interview, right? put it off put it off but i'm gonna circle back to it time is Let's just i can i can view um, this podcast like dr manhattan views time i can see i can see that we're talking about it at one stage but i can wait i'm patient all right so uh dr manhattan is integral to the whole plot of the movie uh because he is basically the the nuclear deterrent against yeah. the russians and the underlying undercurrent of the movie is it keeps referencing the fact that the US and the USSR are closer than ever to like mutual assured destruction. The nukes could fly at any moment. Things are very tense. And Dr. Manhattan, because he is basically has the powers of a God is like the only thing keeping the Russians at bay. And Dr. Manhattan through this movie, as, as Steph said before, like he's kind of been losing touch with humanity and the final breaking point comes when he gives this TV interview and uh, a bunch of people in the audience accuse him of giving them cancer uh, just by being close to them and he flips out and then teleports himself to Mars (laughs) and as you do as I've done many times Mm -hmm. Uh, and then that leads to the sequence. Of... Mars is an oppressive episode, isn't it? Like it's <laughs> Mars is my bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> um, so on the on the the planet of Mars, he's uh, got that sequence we kind of talked about earlier, where he's discussing his accident, and then hmm. also which like... I think is I really like that bit. I think yeah. that's actually one yeah, of the best one of the best, best parts of the movie. And funnily enough, that was the one bit where I thought in the lead up to the movie, I'm like that could never be done right like that would be the hardest possible thing to do because so much of it in the comic is 
because he's skipping around through time, so it'll be him talking about one event while you're seeing the visuals of another event. There's a lot of reused images, but with different contexts. And it's just, it's something that works on paper really, really well. Uh, but then trying to do it as a montage, I thought would be pretty much impossible to evoke that same feeling. But I think by and large, like, it you does mean a good him, job. You, you mean him going through different... Like the, the Forrest yeah. Gump element well, of like hitting different he's kind of in, points of history? He's or sitting you on Mars and he's, he's remembering all events of his life at the same time. Yes. So it's that thing like, it is, that's right. it is 1945, I've met this person. And yeah, that's it right. It is 1960. Yeah. He experiences yeah. his whole timeline simultaneously. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's a really uh, challenging thing to, to come across in a montage because that's that's just linear by by its nature and mm. you can only see one, one thing at a time. But... I thought thought they did that quite well, and then I think it ends with um, his girlfriend Silk Spectre finally convincing him to reclaim his connection to humanity. Well, yeah, he brings her there. Like at one point, um, she's with Dan, um, and they've uh, all they've done. The only thing they've done is rescue people from a burning building and um, escape and. Um, break Rorschach out of prison. That's all That's all that happened. Mm-hmm. And um, then... Um, I feel like there was something. No, it's no, that's all that happened. That's all that happened. Like a week ago that I watched this. So <laughs> that's all that happened. And then, what's, and, then, and then he turns up and he's like, hey, um, come to Mars with me. And she's, she's like, what? And so he... Ch- and Dan's like, I have no real claim over you. So <laughs> because nothing has happened. So you can go... <laughs> And uh, and so she goes to Mars with him. And he, yeah, give, he gives that pained Patrick Wilson smile, which he does in every movie, where it's like that really strained lips purse. I've like, never noticed that, Kyle, but oh, I'm sure you have. You gotta, you gotta <laughs> watch it frame by frame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta zoom in. So he 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 takes her to Mars, and yeah, that it culminates with them having this conversation, basically. Yeah, and her convincing him to come back to humanity. So her argument was something like, or the argument that he says that that convinced him was like, oh, all humans are miracles, all life is a miracle, and. I don't know. To me, it just felt like he he could have listened to like any stoner or any like conversation that people have when they're stoned, and it would have had the same trick because it was just so vague. It was like, oh man, he was just talking about how like we're all just atoms. We're all just we're just all just atoms in space. And then he's like, oh wait, but maybe life is actually a miracle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, like, yeah it didn't really back. have a, a clear kind of the the audience doesn't necessarily come along with you and go and have some realization mm-hmm. with him. It's pretty much you're just watching him and her have these weird, this weird conversation and then suddenly, yep, okay, I'll come back. Because he'd essentially abandoned Earth and left it to the devices of the villain who by this stage I'm pretty sure they've figured out or sort of Dan, uh, Night Owl and Rorschach have kind of figured out that there's something at the core of this and it's Ozymandias and he has this big base in Antarctica and they go to Antarctica and... Now, Dr. Manhattan will come back to Antarctica to help them. I think he, he has to come back originally because there's just about to be like a nuclear war. Because without him on yeah. Earth, yeah, then the USSR and the Americans are just going to attack each other. But yeah, it is, it is at this time where Rorschach and Night Owl have finally found out that it's Ozymandias who's been pulling the strings and who was behind the killing of the comedian as well as all of the other sort of events yeah. leading up to it. And so they go to Boston at Antarctica, and hmm, this is where we hit like the climax of the film. Yeah. And this is the ending of Watchmen is like the probably the most famous thing about it, and is actually quite unique in a superhero story. 
because essentially what happens is that well the villain wins yes so there is a and this is also where it deviates from the comics so in the comics ozymandias's grand master scheme is that he is going to engineer an alien attack on humanity uh, and he's going to do this by genetically designing this completely alien creature and then teleporting it into uh, the middle of several cities around the globe. So both American cities and European cities and Russian cities so that it was truly like a universal attack on humanity as a whole coming from a completely alien source. Yep. And he believed that this would be the impetus needed to unite humanity end the Cold War and also like just changed the nature of humanity so that we're no longer at war with each other because we're united against a common threat. Mm -hmm. However, in the movies, there's a bit of a different take on it. And that is that Ozymandias has instead engineered attacks on cities around the globe. So the same core idea, but these attacks are going to look like they come from a, a, a wrathful Dr. Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And that is where it really falls down to me. I don't know. What, what do you think of that change? You know, it didn't actually bug me that much in the sense of I didn't know how they were, how they could have made the squid monster necessarily work uh, on screen. Yeah, because it, it, it does yeah. feel like a non sequitur to me to just have a like to have the squid suddenly show up and like they have it running as a thread through the comics that there's something going on in mm. this island and you don't know what it is. Um, but they would have had to excise that for the movie's running time, so it would have just been oh, by the way, I've been working on this the whole time. I so, wouldn't have minded that. Like, I think yeah. by that stage, you're either in or you're out. I don't yeah. think that would have been the, the snap moment for many people. Mm. But what bugs me about the change is that it's it just doesn't make sense with his plot anymore because the whole idea of Squid Monster is that it's something that it's something that no one, no human being can blame any other human being for. So that's right. that's what causes us to unite. Uh, and the threat is truly alien. It's completely removed from everything on Earth. So it's it's kind of like a, a fresh start almost because it's a, an entirely new context for us to reframe ourselves against. Whereas Dr. Manhattan is like, he's American. So as if, like, if an American guy, like, even without powers, like, bombed New York, but also bombed, like, the Middle East uh, and bombed, like, Russia and Europe, there would definitely be people blaming America for it. There would be people like... Yeah, it would it would ignite so much conflict, and I think mm. yeah, in in the world of Watchmen, mm. it would be completely realistic for people in Russia to blame the Americans for it, even though the Americans were attacked as mm. well. And I really don't think, yeah, it just made Doctor Ma uh, made Ozymandias' final speech just sound kind of silly to me because mm. it's like, well, this isn't like a, a completely alien threat that it, that that everyone that the U.S. and the the Russians are completely removed from because it's like so much of it is like yeah the Americans like nurtured Doctor Manhattan as a weapon mm. and then he's just like turned against them. So it also like kind that. of relies on Doctor Manhattan not being around afterwards because he's not mm. complicit in this plan. He doesn't know that that's that's what's going to happen. And uh, if you, it, he's essentially starting a fight with Doctor Manhattan on mm. behalf of the world because the world could very well just retaliate mm. and try and figure out a way to attack him. And that, that way they're in a fight with God and mm. that's already going to have dire consequences. Yeah, it's a lot more of a gamble mm. uh, on Ozymandias' part. Yeah. But, uh, also, how is that meant to... I get, yeah, no, like, how is that meant to lead to people getting along and being peaceful when it's essentially just... It's like you're suddenly under the 
watchful eye of an angry parent or, you know, you're always afraid of the consequences. So is everyone just getting along because they're terrified of the next attack? Like... Yeah, they actually... Ozymandias says something like that because mm. he's, I think part of the plan in the movie is that Manhattan, Dr. Manhattan's going to issue his, like, YouTube kind of, like, declaration of war or whatever yeah. and... It's going to include, like, I did this as punishment because you guys were so close to nuclear war, and if you ever attack each other again, I'm going to obliterate you. Yeah. And that's completely different. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's so much more sinister. It's like people living in fear rather than people living in, like, a newfound sense of commonality and a newfound sense of, like, unity. Uh, so, yeah, if, if we're rating uh, Ozymandias' plan... Yeah, I was going to say, we basically just talked about the plan, mm. yeah. I would rate it very poorly. I don't think it works at all. And I think Squid Monster, I actually think he could have pulled it off in the movie. Like, I think the people who wouldn't have liked the movie wouldn't have liked it anyway. And I think Squid Monster would have just made it make at least a bit more sense. I don't know. <laughs> it would be really hard to do. Like, filmically, it's really hard to do. You've got to admit. Like, a giant... Squid Monster, like it just but, would, it would it would look silly. Like it looks silly in the comics. It, it does look silly, but also like the the shock of the ending is that you kind of assume that oh this is just like a darker, grittier take on superheroes, and then at the end like the villain wins and millions and millions of people are dead. Yeah, and then the heroes just kind of accept it. I think that that is so the, that, that, that is the twist of the ending rather than the actual thing that causes the explosions. But that still happens. That that happens, but that's what I'm saying. Like I think that's the that's the more shocking part of the ending, I yeah. think. And, and I, I think whether it's a squid or Dr. Manhattan is... I think that that would have been an easier Is it still a bad plan if the plan is successful? Well, I think mm. it might have been successful for... It now, was. He but got it... He, he won. I think it's, it would only be a matter of time. I think minutes after the movie ended, there would have been Russians saying an American, like, weapon attacks us. Yeah. And it would have, like... There would still be, like, the rifts between countries. Mm. Uh, although it's debatable whether his plan would have worked in the comics as well, to be frank. like well, Given one the, of... the way it ends with Rorschach's journal. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. the thing. So so then, basically, that happens. Because that, that's the other good thing that happens is, like, Ozymandias does his whole, ha this is my plan, and sort of... Um, they he, he he and then you know because like in the movies when a when a bad guy says his plan and then the good guys beat him you know and, and he says well, you really think that I would have just said it all and let you beat me it, said, yeah, it I'm not I'm not a comic book I'm villain. not a yeah. I'm not a comic book villain I did it thirty minutes ago and that yeah it's correct. too late and so then basically Dan and um, Silk Spectre and Doctor Manhattan and Rorschach are all there and um, Rorschach so Ozzy Mandy is kind of convinces them all. To keep their mouth shut for the benefit of the world, except Rorschach, who is an absolutist and believes that people need to know, mm. and tries to escape, and then Doctor Manhattan is pretty much forced to murder him, yeah. which is another thing that. And without the Truman line, Rorschach kind of dies a martyr, whereas with the Truman line, he's just like, "Oh, you're a hypocrite." Yeah. So I think it does change Rorschach's character a bit, uh, and also an interesting excision. So there's yeah, the interesting sort of excision at the start which is the Truman line an interesting one at the end I thought is that in the comics uh, Dr. Manhattan Ozymandias is looking at Dr. Manhattan after everything's gone down and he's kind of like he's in a bit of shock and he's just looking for a bit of validation so the whole way through Ozymandias has always been very self-assured and self-righteous and just sort of saying you know I'm the smartest man in the world this is 
I've sort of looked at all the angles. This is the only way that global peace can happen. I've solved it. But then at the very end of the comics, he kind of looks at Dr. Manhattan and he says, was it worth it in the end? Or will it work out in the end? Kind of begging for a bit of validation and revealing a bit of a seed of doubt. And then Dr. Manhattan just replies to him, nothing ever ends. And that I thought was a really good line because Ozymandias' plot in the comics and the film He's saying that he's done it as this objective, intelligent approach to this to the problem, but in a way, it is like a superheroic approach. It's just taking a problem and punching it in the face. Mm. Like it is, it is just punching a bad guy in the face, but on a global scale. He's just using like instead of like hitting a bank robber or a mugger, he's just nuking cities and saying, you know, this will be the, the act of violence that finally delivers peace and. You sort of, yeah, left wondering again, like, yeah, superhero ethics, whether they're at small scale like Rorschach or big scale like Ozymandias, it's all kind of a bit screwed up and morally dubious. Totally. I mean, the whole movie is screwed up. Like, I guess that's part of the part of the mythos of the Watchmen is that they're they're all really messed up and and you know you don't really there is no clear hero yeah. and they're all very morally ambiguous, which is. A, all good superheroes should be like that, just to keep it interesting, I suppose. Um, yeah, and then it kind of ends. It's it's sort of where 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 um where where sort of it's revealed that I can't remember if it's revealed at the very end or 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 a bit earlier, but that the Silk Spectre's dad was probably the comedian or was the comedian. Was the comedian? Yeah, like um her mum had actually ended up having having an affair with this man who had beat her and um, nearly raped her once, and you know that's. Yeah, that, that, that is revealed earlier, isn't it? Yeah, yeah that's, that's, well, that's the funny. thing that convinces Dr. Manhattan to come back. That's in the right. Movie, is that, oh, your mum liked that guy. Yeah, <laughs> that was, yeah that's yeah, basically... Yeah, that makes like, sense. Um, yeah, yeah, so... Yeah, look, I don't know. I, I just feel like it was... Um, then it just kind of ended hmm. with, with Rorschach dead and... Oh, but Rorschach's diary had gotten delivered to the press. Mm. Yeah. So one of the things in the, in the um, books that was completely omitted was this whole other plot of this ship this pirate ship mm. um yeah because it's a kid reading a comic book within the comic within yeah, the comic, of, yeah. and the comic book is of a pirate ship now i uh, it's not referenced at all in the movie and it's actually quite a big part of the book i think there's an extended cut yeah where it's mm. yeah and it's it's um did you say it was um animated yeah they animated, animated it, yeah. it and uh yeah so i never when i was reading it i kind of never really got that like what that was supposed to be or mean, or why it was in there. It did feel very, very gratuitous to me. It's so. been a long time since I read the Black Freighter bits. To be honest, the first couple of times when I was reading the book at 17, I was just like, I can't Bring me the ultraviolence! I, I need more Rorschach, man. This guy gets it. I'm not going to read this pirate <laughs> bullshit. They're kind of like the songs in Lord of the Rings. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 like, yeah. oh, I can see you put a lot of oh, work into this Tolkien, but I'm just going to get back yeah. to it. Fuck Tom Bombadil singing about Oh, I tell you, no, it's not as bad as Tom Bombadil. I never made it past Tom Bombadil. Yeah, so many Ever. No, I've never read Lord so of the Rings after don't. that. Yeah. I made so many running starts at that book, but Tom Bombadil just brought the whole thing to a screeching halt. <laughs> Every I... one of his, like, uh, his his songs are fucking worse than Zack Snyder's. When I read that book, that Lord of the Rings, I when I finished it, I cried my eyes out. It was, and I think it was mostly because it was over, and like I'd run a marathon of reading. I never, because <laughs> I'm not a big reader, and just to finish that book, I was like, <laughs> anyway, it wasn't that wasn't my reaction to the Watchmen. Um, 
From memory, though, the Black Freighter stuff was, like, mirroring kind of the main plot. I think it was just about this guy who because commits a series of atrocities. He, I, I, all I remember is, like, he's on a raft made out of corpses. Yeah. Uh, and I so think he's having just... to do monstrous things to survive. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. at the end, I think it's... I think it's like he, he has to kill a bunch of people to get back to his town to yeah. warn them of, a, of an attack. And then I think he gets back too late and is just like, well, I've committed all these murders for, for, nothing. for nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was it, but I, I can't really remember it. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've definitely covered every scene of the film. We haven't... Co- we haven't... We haven't talked about... We've covered it. I, re- I think we can stop the podcast now. I can see something in your notes there that um, seems to be written in all caps. <laughs> no, to Do you want to read that out? <laughs> uh, do you want, okay, I will read out what you found, which is nice. Thanks for pointing that out. It says, um, fuck this sex scene. That's what it says. And uh, look, that's pretty much all I can, I can remember writing that. I, I don't really know what prompted that because my, my, my memory goes all sort of fuzzy, like a sort of... Like all like like it's been there's been interference from like a magnet, yeah. and I just I don't know I just know that I, I get this sick feeling in my stomach, and and then that was the, that was the output it was that line and I don't really know what it's referring to but obviously um, it may I, be the worst like one of the worst sex scenes that ever put to film. <laughs> like, see, you guys both hated it. I think yeah. Steph really really hated well, it. I don't, I don't well, hate I the whole movie. I, I couldn't whole watch movie. it. So we were watching yeah. it together, and I put my head in a pillow. Mm. For two minutes. And it's funny because when you... Yeah, in the lead up to it, you were just like, I hate this sex scene. I thought you meant like, you know, you just hated it. But that it's actually literally unwatchable to you. Pretty much, yeah. I can't deal with it. Mm. I actually had to even close my ears and sort of hum to myself so I couldn't hear the song. <laughs> like, it's just... It's really... I. What is it about the sex scene that... that well, you... sex scenes are bad anyway. Like, I, I don't think there are many good sex scenes. There are a cut few, but in general, I don't think they often... When actors go, oh, as long as it progresses the story, it's like bullshit. It's mm. it's gratuitous and stupid, and it doesn't need to be in there. There are the odd occasion where it is it is good, but otherwise, no, I'm not into them. That one is just so fucking awful. Like I I I I don't know. It, I, I shouldn't have to explain. Anyone who's seen it would know what I mean. Mm. It's just it, it, freaking hallelujah, which is a song that I think is completely overrated anyway. Is, and the wrong choice, and then they fuck in the fucking Archimedes ship. Hmm. It's revolting, and it's really, it's and really graphic, and, and just the gross. Slow, the, um, and slow motion. slow motion. And there's, there's no sense of passion between the two of them. Uh, it looks like they're just like it looks like they're stand-ins who are <laughs> just doing it there. I mean, I'm sure you're happy because you get to see a bit more Patrick Wilson. Uh, that, that was what was pulling me through. Oh, yeah, but oh, like, for a minute there, I thought you were going to say because you got to see a girl, but then you said Patrick Wilson. And I was like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but like, we've really got to talk about the uh, the the it's the this scene's version of the train going into the tunnel yeah, stop yeah. footage of hitting the flamethrower button just in case you wanted to know at what point in the scene one of the characters at least one of the characters comes they, yeah. they reach out and they hit the flamethrower button on Archimedes and then you go you see a big jet of flame yeah. shoot out from the yeah. <laughs> oh Steph's passed out sorry just get me the smelling salts yeah. Um, yeah. it's awful Bad. It's Thanks a bad for, sex scene. Thanks for backing me up, man. Yeah. It's yeah, it's not it's not good, but I didn't have the same visceral reaction. Oh, there are things in the movie that I hated more than it. I'll say that. Whereas what? 
for you, it's like it's the lowest. Oh, there are literally nothing. There is nothing more in the. There is nothing in the world that I hate more. Like yeah. I would rather watch nine eleven footage. <laughs> I would. That, that is a recurring theme in this podcast. Discussing 9/11. 9/11. Well, we are a bit obsessed yeah, well, with Well, we're the post 9-11 world. I mean, everything yeah. changed when those towers came down. That's true. <laughs> and guys, I just want to say, put it out there, Google Building 7 because your <laughs> mind will be blown. Okay. Um, so, do you like the movie? I know you, I, I know you don't like Kyle, the movie. That's Kyle, great, do you like it? Mm, kind of. I'm lukewarm. Yeah. I didn't dislike it. Probably wouldn't recommend it to anybody probably wouldn't watch it again but i think i I think it zack snyder i disagree with a lot of his take on the characters but then there were bits in there which i really liked uh well actually yeah just two bits the dr manhattan montage and the opening Mm. bob dylan montage overall though i was like rolling my eyes at it a bit too much and i think the ending was missed the point and i think like certain things about the characters missed the point Specifically, like, the comedian and Rorschach. Hmm. Actually, the, the only reason I like this movie is basically is Patrick Wilson, come to think of it. <laughs> I think that that has genuinely... Sells the whole thing me. for you. Yeah. I think if it was any other actor playing him, I'd be like, nah, this is a terrible movie. Mm. But overall, like, I think maybe it's just my enduring... Enduring kind of, like, appreciation for Watchmen and how it kind of pulled me into comics and just the effect that it had when I first read it mm. and... There are things, like, I think it is dated badly, but there are things in Watchmen that I think are also still really interesting yep. to talk about. And some of those things made into the movie. Oh, so, we, we all have texts like that that we kind of like despite, you know, despite themselves. And yeah. then you put it up against something like Fantastic Four. And it's, it is at least, there is more going on. There is cohesion to it. Hmm. And there is, like, there is more... There's, there's more under the surface. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They are trying to do something. Yeah. yeah. So here's the thing. I the, When this came out, I actually really liked it. I liked it a lot more when I first saw it. And uh, I was even on a podcast at the time yeah. <laughs> uh, talking about how much I liked it. And I'm going to have to flip-flop on that because I really don't... Th- I, I Going back to it after a couple of years, I was like, this is not anywhere near as good as I thought. I think I was largely just sort of won over by the fact that they were able to get as much of... Uh, of it in through the adaptation as they did yeah maybe like that's, they do. that's why i'm kind of like yeah. i didn't outright hate it because i was just shocked that this that this comic which for years ever since it came out there was just people this said it was unfilmable. well there was yeah, this enduring yeah. enduring call of people saying okay it's unadaptable but if you did try the only way to do it would be like a 12 episode hbo miniseries yeah. i think if you google 12 episode hbo miniseries you'd find like thousands of results relating to Watchmen. And so I was just kind of like shocked at, yeah, how much actually made it in. Mm. And yeah, some things were rushed, but a lot of the content actually slipped through. Uh, Rorschach's backstory was completely abridged. Uh, So he had his scene with like what sort of pushed him over the edge into like complete brutalization. And it was like busting this... uh, man who'd killed a child and in the comics there's this whole thing about how he he handcuffs the dude to a radiator and sets the building on fire and gives him a hacksaw and tells him you know uh this will only cut through your leg or whatever i think it might have been the first thing to do that uh or actually mad max would have come out before it so yeah it was a bit 
I, I didn't mind that that wasn't in it uh, because in the in the movie, Rorschach just takes a meat cleaver and just like it just, just kills sli- him, slices him in the <laughs> yeah. head. Uh, but yeah, no. Overall, like my enduring like familiarity with Watchmen. I mean, it, it inspired my first podcast, which was on heroin and child pornography, and <laughs> it was talked about on the streets a lot. So yeah, it does hold a special place for me. Yeah, and yeah. there you go. We <laughs> didn't know that. I, I don't think I'm. I definitely don't love the movie. I'm not even sure if I like it, but there is something like really watchable about it yeah. like i was when i was firing it up again i was like oh this is two hours and 40 minutes mm. and that's the shortest version you can watch that's the yeah. theatrical cut and and i was like um this is going to be a real struggle and even though i was doing some other stuff in the background it was something it's still something very compelling i find about it i can just watch it and it's just it's still very kind of entertaining exactly the same way like when i was i was looking up with versions to get of it i was just like Okay, there's like three or four versions, and they just kept getting longer and longer. And the longest one was like th- over three hours. I was like, "Fuck, I hope we don't settle on this one." Uh, but then the one on Netflix ended up being the, sh- the shortest one. I was like, "Oh, thank God!" But uh, yeah, definitely. Like, I found myself thinking afterwards that I might actually check out the the three hour version because oh, yeah, there is. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to. I'm gonna, but I will go back to it again in like five years. Yeah, and I'll yeah watch at it some again point in time, it's not a, it's not a one done. and done. Yeah. It's not unwatch. I agree. It's not unwatchable. It does have some pretty cool visuals. Um, yeah. I really quite like the the costuming. I love the Silk Spectres costumes, both versions. They're great to look at. Um, so the costumes could have been a bit dorkier for me because I think they're meant to look like kind of mm. home costumes. They're meant to look like cosplay. Yeah. The Minutemen than... ones look good. They're yeah, like yeah. Dollar the Bill and Mothman, Hooded yeah. Yeah. Justice. Yeah, Jolly's <laughs> great. Yeah, I, I liked that. I, I like the look of it. And yeah, look, and you're right. There are some cool sequences. The opening sequence is great. Um, but ultimately, um, both Alan Moore and Zack Snyder lack subtlety that I appreciate. Mm. And I, 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 I'd much rather watch something understated. I'd much, I mean, you know, there are so many better other comic book movies that I would watch before this one if I mm. had the choice. So, yeah, um, yeah I, I Whatever, it's good. Good one to talk about, though. Like, there's lots to talk about with it. Yeah. yeah, there we go. That's great. I think that's done. I think that's done. Should we plug it up? Yeah, yeah. Let's plug, plug it up. up. Plug it up. <laughs> um, so I am an improviser. You can come see me in a show called Sooth Players, which is improvised Shakespeare. We're going to do a full run of the comedy festival this year if you're in Melbourne. So I think uh, we should do a podcast episode that's full Shakespeare. Uh, sure, why not? Let's do that. <laughs> don't, don't step on his turf. Do I get sued? Um, when yeah, is so, it coming? It's April, isn't it? Uh, it starts March 24th. Uh, so yeah, there will be lots of shows. Um, go check out soothplayers.com. We should go support him. Thanks for stepping on the domain name there. That's cool. Sorry. Say <laughs> it again. Soothplayers.com. Right, we'll beep it out. Yeah. Okay. And I'm also in another thing on Fortnite shows at the Improv Conspiracy. So go to improvconspiracy.com and just search for my name. I'm in there somewhere. Well, uh, last.tonowhere.com is my other podcast on Australian history. Uh, should have some new episodes coming out soon. Felt feel like I've said that in the last you few. You have. But they take ages to edit. Uh, so the latest one is going to be like, it's like a three hour raw file. So I'm kind of working my way through that now. But yeah, hopefully soon. Okay, cool. And um, I, I've been saying that we'll, I'll be back soon on the radio and I am I will be next week um, uh, or on Saturdays, um, 10 a.m. on 103.5 FM. I'm on um, Arts Weekly. We do... Uh, interviews and um, stories on arts programs uh, and events around Melbourne. So tune in and um, I'd like to speak to you on the, in the mornings on 
Saturday. You don't just have to listen to me on demand. You can listen to me at a set time. <laughs> Broadcast to your ears. All right. Thanks for listening. R.I.P. Bubestus. <laughs>